Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to a bonus surprise episode of the Deeper Podcast. Uh, This is Darren. Uh, I'm about to share an interview with you that I had with Fouad Masri. Fouad is born and raised in uh, Beirut, Lebanon. Until he was about 18 years old, he came to the United States, went to college, graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, and now has a ministry. And by the way, when I say now, since like 1993, has had a ministry to Muslims here in America and around the world. Uh, this The timing of this has been fascinating to me because we were trying to get Fouad last week. Uh, schedules didn't line up. Uh, so it worked out that he could be there uh, on Tuesday at 2.30. And what happened Tuesday at 2.30 on August 4th is that on his way over, word started getting out that a large explosion happened in Beirut, Lebanon, uh, the place of his birth, uh, his Family and friends, fortunately, as far as we know, are all okay. So it just felt like, wow, maybe God was in this moment. An explosion happening in Lebanon at that moment. And here he's coming to do an interview with me uh, at just that time. So uh, this interview is super far-reaching. Uh, we talk about everything from Shia Islam to Sunni Islam, the differences. Uh, we talk about some of the geopolitical stuff that's happening in Turkey. And what we talk about a lot is Fouad's heart, and I hope it is your heart as well for Muslim people. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are saved, and there are those who God wants to save. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That whosoever, that's whosoever, if you are a who. You are a whosoever believes in him will not perish, right? But will have everlasting life. And so that includes Muslims and it includes the Muslims in Lebanon and it, it, in Lebanon, the country in Lebanon, Tennessee, right? Right on the corner. All around us, there are people that Jesus loves and wants to save. And so Fouad, uh, in his ministry, Crescent, Prosit, uh, Crescent Project is the name of his ministry, crescentproject.org. Uh, we'll drop a link in there for you to check that out. Uh, if you have had any questions and, and just wonder, man, what would God have me to do for uh, or to or with Muslims in my own neighborhood? I live in uh, College Grove, Tennessee. We have wonderful Muslim families in my neighborhood. Love them. Great people that Jesus loves. And so uh, if, if you have questions about that or if you just wonder what it What's even happening in the world right now? Uh, Fouad, I mean, he takes us all the way back to like Napoleon, right? 1699, I think, in, in invading Turkey and how that has affected Muslim attitudes even today. So, hey, take, uh, take some notes, take your time, hit pause uh, and listen and enjoy. And you know what? Pray that the Holy Spirit moves on your heart as you're listening to this interview with Fouad Masri. So, Fouad, welcome to the Deeper Content. Thank you. Contest. Great to be with you, Deeper podcast. I said contest. Maybe we'll put a contest okay. in here. But thanks for being here, man. I appreciate you making the time. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. We made the decision to move to Nashville uh, after about uh, 28 months of research. And we praise God for the move. It has been a blessing and a great meeting you. 
Dude, it's an honor. Tell me this. You just said something. Uh, you just sort of skipped right over. Uh, you did 28 months of research, and you decided on Nashville as the location for your ministry. Why? Yeah. Christian Project believes we have a hope worth sharing with Muslims. So from inception, since 93, our goal was to cross the street, love on Muslims in our neighborhood, and slowly the ministry has grown across the United States. We're in Europe. We're in the Middle East. And so our goal is to lock arms to share the good news. And we were in the city of Indianapolis, and I... I felt that God's telling us to maybe move out of Indianapolis because we've been there for a while and I wasn't sure if this is from the Lord. So I asked for wise counsel and we put 14 cities and we had five main criteria. In uh, Nashville, one, we had cities like Dallas, Houston, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C. Uh, the number one thing that attracted us to Nashville was the growth potential that not only there are a lot of believers, but uh, it's, it's a growing city. And it's growing also in the Christian community, but also growing in a Muslim community. There are Kurds, there are Egyptians, there are Syrians, there are Lebanese, there are Iraqis. Uh, I think it has now the largest Kurdish community outside Kurdistan. Yeah, because so most people listening to this might not even know that uh, when Iraq, uh, when there were elections held, that Nashville was one of the sites in the United States because of the very large Kurdish population that is right here in Nashville. Isn't that great? So that's what the other thing that really made it stand out was the accessibility. Um, it there are other cities more accessible, but they had other weak points. So uh, Nashville is a little bit like Indianapolis in a ten-hour radius. You'd reach eighty to ninety percent of the population by car if you drive it. Let alone flights. And Nashville is almost a hub because everybody comes through Nashville. Um, and it's a, uh, economically different than being in a big city like Atlanta or Los Angeles or Dallas. These are these cities get expensive for our team to move here. So I spent 20 some years as a, in the music industry and we loved Nashville mm -hmm. uh, because it's literally within like 10, eight to 10 hours of like dozens and dozens of cities, large cities, all easily accessible by tour bus. Oh, yeah. But what is amazing that I, I genuinely believe, especially in Nashville. Now, by the way, the United States in general, the, the population, the Muslim population has grown extensively, uh, Nashville included. And I think one of the greatest gifts that we as a church have, um, I'm going to say squandered, that has sort of a pejorative, and I don't mean it to be, but it's really true. Literally, we... Muslims uh, live in, for the most part, in places that are very hard to reach. They're very dangerous to get to if you're a Christian. And the Lord has been bringing the nations literally right to our doorsteps. Yep. And I think that uh, it's taken us a while to understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also believe that God is waking us up. Amen. And I think that your ministry is for just such a time uh, as this. Now, d detecting you. by your accent, you're not from Indianapolis originally. <laughs> How on earth did you find yourself in Indianapolis having grown up in Beirut, Lebanon? Yeah, I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. My dad is Lebanese. My mom is Syrian. I got saved during the Lebanese war, but my parents had already become believers. Um, basically, the way the gospel came to our family is my grandfather, Isa, ran away from the Turkish army in 1914, uh, came on a boat to Ellis Island and gets saved in Toledo, Ohio moves to the Middle East in 1924 and dies. He was like a pastor, itinerant evangelist. So I never met my grandfather. But the gospel came to our family that way. Now, 
my dad was a believer. I grew up in a Christian home, but had my doubts of faith. Mm-hmm. And during the Civil War, my best friend Walid was killed by the Palestinians. So I did not only hate the Jewish people, because supposedly they are enemies, but I also hated the Palestinians for killing Walid at age 18. But during that time of questioning, God, uh, you know, gripped me. And I, I don't want to share all my story. You can, maybe people can watch it. But for me, the trigger was when we lost friends in a bombing. And I, it hit me that the war, and the problem in Lebanon is not weapons. Weapons don't kill people. People kill people. We've killed each other over skin color, over religion, over money. We killed each other with sticks and stones and spears. And now we have weapons of mass destruction. What hit me in the war in Lebanon, that the issue was the human heart. It was my heart. I hated Jewish people. I hated Palestinians. And Jesus says something very powerful as I read scripture, because I studied Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and then I read the Bible as a Christian. I had the Bible with me because a Christian home. But what hit me is that Christ said many words that nobody wants to touch these days. But Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he pushes the issue, says, love your enemies. Do not repay evil with evil, but you pay evil with good. Pray for those who persecute you. Christ said, um, do unto others what you want to do unto you. I mean, isn't that a verse that is now? I mean, America needs this verse. Uh, in the Middle East, do unto others what you want to do unto you. So for me, the conviction was, there is no war that will end all wars. There is not enough money. People in the war in Lebanon would say, well, if we have money, it will solve it. That's not true. Or somebody said, the religion. We have a lot of religion in the Middle East. We have a ton of religion. Religion doesn't solve the issue. It's the human heart. So I remember going to my room, kneeling on my bed, and praying this prayer. I said, uh, Lord Jesus, when you came to earth, you healed the sick and you raised the dead. Forgive me that I hate Jewish people. Forgive me that I hate Palestinians. You changed my heart. The more there is war in this country, I want to be a soldier of peace. The more there's hate, I want to be a soldier of love. And God change my heart and i know god exists because i started praying for the jewish people i didn't know any jewish person i started praying for them i started praying for the palestinians arafat will pass behind my house every night during the fighting lines from 1975 to 1982 he would go behind my house i lived we lived in apartments in west beirut and so that the the reason i'm sharing this with with you and our audience is that i know god changed my heart i started praying for people and loving people and caring for people that I shouldn't. In a human mind, why should I love the Palestinians? They killed the, my best friend. We played soccer for four years. He had he was not even a fighter. He was walking on a Saturday morning, you know, smoking a cigarette when they killed him. So the struggle, the struggle for me is: is does God exist? Yes, He does. People, when they push push the issue, yes, He changed me. So I started praying. For, Muslim, for my Muslim neighbors, for the Palestinians, for the Israelis. So that's how God changed me. Now, how I ended up in Indianapolis is I came to school in Indiana, got my bachelor's in communication, went to Lebanon, built my own radio studio. We did radio ministry. Then I came for my master's at Fuller in California. And on the way back, I was visiting, and I discovered a lot of people in, in America are not reaching to Muslims across the street right. now muslims now are more than than 93 and they are playing a very big political game because they are only two percent of the united states yet we have three uh, senators and house representatives who are muslim so it's not a it's not a real comparison the this minority that we call two percent muslims they're pulling 
They're pushing a political agenda so they can take control politically and establish certain rules that benefit them, like they do in other countries. However, for us as Christians, we see beyond the news. See, we put our glasses, of spiritual glasses, and so we see that, okay, they have an agenda. So in 93, I discovered that the Islamic Society of North America is in Indianapolis. Hmm. So we started the ministry there. I was a stockbroker, and I also taught for a university and started Crescent Project. Our first training, Christian training, we had four people. And right now, that was as of January of this year, we had trained more than 371,000 people through our ministry. Training, explain what you mean by training. We're training to do what? Okay, we have what we call, uh, we use a term called uh, baby steps. So we help believers see that God can use them to share with their Muslim friend, maybe Muslim acquaintance, maybe they meet somebody online. And so we have, we, it's, it's a very nice um, program where we start with prayer, and then there's a, a basic training on how to begin a conversation with a Muslim, how to focus the conversation. Then we go into deeper, how to answer questions, and then we go in deeper, how to understand Muslim culture and what we call folk Islam. Most Muslims today are nominal which means they have traditional information about Islam. They've never studied Islam. They've never compared different religions. So they have nominal and folk meaning there's occult stuff, magic. So they might, you might go in a house and you might see a um, blue bead on the clothes of the kids or something written in a Quranic verse and hung on the wall. Or you might walk in and there's incense burning. These are folk Islam, which means traditional things they do to word of jinn, which is demonic activity. So as they as people get involved with us, the deeper the training. Right. But with the technology and the apps, we're now we've seen we broke about three hundred and seventy one thousand people equipped. Our last training, uh, which was online, was in uh, was attended by twenty seven countries wow. uh, across the planet. Which is helpful to me. You know, we talked we just sort of skimmed over the civil war um a, a friend of uh, our church a friend of Shannon and, and myself is a guy named Jay Seculo who's an attorney here in town and uh he, he's been a little busy lately <laughs> but uh I remember a long time ago he told me um that we can't bomb this out of uh radicalism we can't bomb it out we it's only the gospel mm. and I, you know back then I heard it and it's probably 10 years ago but I've never forgotten it and what you just described to me um, in your own, even though you might have been a Christian questioning your faith, is is really the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the power, whether it is in Beirut, whether it is in Tehran, or whether it's in Toledo, right? Um, it seems like sometimes we get caught up in the argument about whether or not there's an agenda. And that, and so we, that's the fight in the political side. Is there an agenda? Is there not an agenda? Is there? And, and we can get so caught up in that war that we actually forget that there is a war and we don't war against flesh and blood but in the principalities and powers in the best way amen is with the gospel and 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 darren may may i share some two things here the first one is on the spiritual side the other one on the social side yes please spiritually speaking your friend is is right on because i not only i changed in my prayer life but i know shia from iran who pray for jewish people i know shia from lebanon who were pro Hezbollah and get saved. I know Palestinian fighters who got saved and they now pray not only for their people, but they pray for the Jewish people. Because when you become a believer, you don't see people by race. 
You don't see people That's buying really good. by politics. I like when I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't look at my neighbor. How did they vote? every year that's not that's not the point i see them as christ's creation and jesus says i have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly so as believers when people accuse us you know oh you have a white jesus or a black jesus no 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 jesus is for all people yeah and and so you can't harbor hate now on the social side it's very important many times i you you look at the politics and you don't know why. So why there was an Islamic revolution in Iran? Yeah, why? Why why somebody like Osama spends all his money and his time to kill people in an office? Uh, I was in New York City getting a bagel right across the street from the Trade Center, which is now called the Freedom Tower, and the guy behind the sh- the counter said to me when he found out I'm Lebanese, he goes, "Well, you know, we must be doing something bad to get this." I said, "Sir." You can't justify terrorism. You can't justify killing somebody behind a desk. Just because I'm upset, I go kill somebody else. Like, I, if I'm upset with you, I go beat up your sister. Or, you know, right, right. if you don't like American foreign policy, you speak about it. Or if you're a country, declare war. You know what I'm saying? What is this reason of this core of hate? Your friend is right. How can you get rid of the hate? Because if you bomb it, you just fuel it. The reason this is the the present situation we're in, we call this the modern era of the Muslim world. The struggle for Islam is it's declining. It's been declining for many years. And when Napoleon entered Cairo, was a big strike and a big problem for the Muslim world as a whole. That this short pagan who is a kafir according to Islam mm. defeats the Muslim army of Egypt. Islam has to win. Islam is not only a religion. Islam at the core is a political system. Uh, uh, right now, Hagia Sophia became a mosque. The imam speaking goes up the steps to get to the pulpit, and he's carrying a sword. Imagine. They say Islam is a peaceful religion, but that's not the point. The point is Islam is a religion of surrender. We have the sword. So mm. he speaks the first time in 80 years. Yeah, he speaks, and he has a sword in his hand. Imagine if wow. if a Christian does that, you know. And you're saying that just happened? Yes, about uh, ten days ago. Right. This this historic, and most people would know this, but just in case you you don't know, this historic church in Turkey uh, has been taken over. Erdogan has uh, taken over and turned it into a mosque. Yes, back again on July twenty fourth. July twenty fourth. That's like a week ago. And you're yes. saying that that first time. So that'd be like me showing up. In, in let's say Murfreesboro, I go to the mosque, I take it over, and now it's going to be a church, and I show up with an AR-15. Yes, and you stand up, say AR-15, and say, "I want to talk to you about Jesus, the peacemaker." <laughs> right, right. So here's this. Yeah. So why they're doing this? Because with Napoleon, uh, that was the first trigger. Then additional is scientifically they're behind, economic they're behind. They're always depending on the outside, which is the West, which in their mind that's the Christian West. So there's this kind of competition. So the core social issue is this. The reason we're losing because we are not good Muslims. So the goal of these groups that we call ISIS, Al-Qaeda, uh, you know, a Muslim Brotherhood, they all come, the teaching is really from, the, from a man called Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah taught that the Muslim community is not good Muslims. They have to be living like the days of Muhammad. That's why Osama always send us videotapes. Right now, they use social media because they want people to see how they're living. 
Now, the flip side was the reason we are losing because God doesn't exist. So what's happening today in Islam, there's a crisis. What is true Islam? Is Islam a modernized, atheistic, or materialistic faith? Or is Muhammad the true model? We have to live like him. And so when you're talking to Muslims, they're not all the same. I could be talking to somebody, a Muslim, who says I'm a Muslim by name, but when you dig, you find they're maybe atheist or secularist, or maybe even if they're a scientist, maybe Islam is something they do because mom and dad. Um, I remember my first trip to the uh, Atlanta mosque. I sat beside a Lebanese engineer and a Palestinian engineer. And guess what was the imam speaking about? He was speaking on the size of the camel of Muhammad. Huh. I was watching them. They're bored. They're engineers. What is a camel of Muhammad going to do with anything? It was a 45-minute talk. Wow. When I left, you know, I started talking to them a little bit. The reason they're there, so they can tell their mom and dad, we went to the mosque on Friday. The message did not connect at all with them. Had not, I mean, I'm an engineer. What is the size of Muhammad, the way he walked, where he la right. laid down, how Muhammad, uh, uh, he said Muhammad depended on his camel. You know, somehow this is a magical camel. So the reason I'm sharing this with you is when, as, as, an, as we see Muslims' neighbors, or maybe on a flight, or in a trip, or in a business setting, or college, maybe you're in a, in a study group and there's a Muslim person, that person is not the same like every Muslim. There is certain, as we say, basic ways to talk to them, but generally they could be from a huge range, from very fanatic to maybe even what we call now an atheist Muslim, which is an oxymoron. <laughs> so when you say that now, help me then with even the difference between Shia and Sunni and, and how this might play out. Uh, the geopolitical seems to be, I mean, so like Palestinian, that would be Sunni Islam, correct? Yeah, majority of Palestinians Ma majority. are Sunni. And so, but obviously from Tehran to Damascus, even into Beirut, uh, would be primarily Shia Islam? Um, no, the majority of Shia are in Iran, parts of Afghanistan, parts of Iraq, parts Iraq, of Lebanon. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in that realm, and thanks for helping me unpack this, um, like let's say in our so that's some people ask us are Shia more peaceful than Sunni and mm -hmm. obviously uh, you know if the Ayatollah is Shia and Osama is Sunni the answer is uh, no <laughs> there's 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 radicals on both sides of that my question would be for us here in America does that play into a conversation with uh, with our Muslim neighbors to find out are they Shia or Sunni yes. or does that matter. Yeah, it, uh, the two big umbrellas are Sunni and Shia, but under those two umbrellas is about 200 denominations. So they're so, just like us. So you got Baptist, yeah. you got first oh, yeah. Muslim, second Muslim. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or you could can, you can be talking, somebody says, I'm Sufi. Well, that's yeah. great, but Sufis have different tariqat, different roads. So the Sufis are your uh, mystical Muslims. It, many believe it's a mix of uh, mysticism and Christianity and Islam. It's illegal in many Muslim countries. But the way Islam spread is through military campaign. So from Morocco all the way to Kazakhstan, all that region is all military campaigns. There is an argument that uh, Indonesia and Malaysia were converted by traders. Uh, but history shows that there was also manipulation by emirs and sultans. But for example, Pakistan is Pakistan because they are the remnants of the Mongolian Empire hmm. that converted people to Islam by the sword. And so one of the struggles today we have is that Islam is entrenched because they came in and took the land. And hmm. uh, in Islamic uh, 
history, and I don't want to take too much time on this, but in Islamic history, we have something called Islamicizing the land. Once you Islamicize the land, it does not matter how many Muslims are on that land. If there's one Muslim, he will be placed as the ruler. So when they entered Lebanon, Syria in 680, they were the minority, but it didn't matter. They were supposed to the ruler. So Islamic law does not it doesn't coincide with American law because American law says all of us are treated equal regardless of race or religion. In Islam, no, it's you're treated different if you're Muslim. And um, so the first losers in Islamic law is Muslim women. The second are non-Muslims. They lose anything because you can a Muslim can come and take my building because they want to make it a mosque. And so that's what's happening historically. Uh, so Hagia Sophia, when people talk about it, is if in the minds of a Muslim, well, we took it. We took it by the sword. You know, you don't like it, deal with it. And, and this is what, it's a different, when Americans arrived in Iraq, we didn't change any mosques to churches. Instead, we even rebuilt. So there's this discrepancy today between what is Islamic law, what is democracy or democratic law, and the Muslims are watching. What we need to know as believers, that Muslims today are watching. There's no more this idea of uh, that the media doesn't get anywhere. It's going everywhere. People are watching us. And the church, like you said, brother, is we need to not forfeit our right. I hate it when somebody wants to speak for the Christians when they're not Christian. Don't speak for Christians. Ask Christians what they believe right. about God, what they believe about you know race, what we believe about uh, 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 government. Like for us, we feel like there's so many atrocities in the Middle East because we believe that government should be fair, regardless right. if you're Muslim or Sunni or Shia. So the the core of Islamic uh, is is politics, and the split is political. The ones who followed Ali, the cousin of Muhammad, and the war was six six hundred. Um, uh, about 650 AD, 650 years after Christ, Muhammad had died, the prophet of Islam. So those who said Ali, his first cousin, should be the leader, the successor, were called Shi'at Ali, means the followers of Ali. We abbreviate it to Shia. The other group who refused to take Ali, they said, no, we have to follow the path, Sunnah. Sunnah is path or road. Right. And so we get the name Sunni. But under each umbrella, history, as they conquered, you know, they have more changes. The famous or the largest Shia group is what we call the Twelvers. They believe there's a 12th Imam. Right, which would be Iran and Ayatollah, Ahmadinejad. They have their own eschatology. <laughs> so they believe that the 12th Imam is coming back. And part of the Islamic revolution was to prove that they can win and their goal is to defeat Israel as a proof that God is winning. The idea that Allah has to win. For you and I, you know, we suffer and, you know, under under the Third Reich, he was persecuting believers. And there any other, like China persecutes believers. For us, God's still on the throne, regardless of there's persecution or no. In Islam, Allah wins by military force or else that's proof he doesn't exist. And so in that regard, so when we talk about the revolution, like we would think back to, uh, for those who may not know 100%, like this would have been in the 80s. This, so the movie Argo, right, with Ben Affleck, which was a, a dramatization, uh, the, the hostages that were taken during um, Jimmy Carter's administration, that's part of the Islamic revolution that you're talking about from yes. Shia? 
Yes, and uh, it's he important. Would be a 12-er would be well. The, the Shia were trying to prove that we are gonna uh, take. Uh, sorry, we are gonna defend the honor of Islam and show you how it's done because the Sunnis had failed. 1948, 1967, 1973, 1980. All these wars were happening. And, you know. So in their minds, this is okay. Look, you Sunnis have given this a shot. We're now going to show you how it's exactly. done. Uh, and the Twelvers, um, so like when Ahmadinejad stood in the UN, uh, it's been maybe a decade now, and, and uh, I think the exact words were like, hastened the return of the Twelfth uh-huh. Iman. Yes. Like that's what he's talking about. Yes, and they, and they believe that that's, when they come, there'll be a battle where, where uh, they will kill the Christians and the Jews and establish Islam around the world. Right. And in that version of eschatology, does am I remembering right that Jesus actually is with them in that? But it's like yeah. he's just not the Jesus. He's just like, uh, like, I don't know, like the Lone Ranger in Tonto. So he'd be like Tonto. Well, Jesus is coming with them to kill us. To kill us. Which which is a problem because in Islam, in the Quran, it says those who believe in Jesus will be victorious till judgment mm. day. Ah. So the question is, when you, when you bring that teaching, uh, it's kind of a little bit against the Quranic teaching. Part of the problem today in the Quran is there are Quranic verses that contradict each other. Right. So, so you know, so we is like, how can the Quran say we are the best friend of Muslims? They believe in the same prophets we believe in, and then you get another Quranic chapter, which is chapter nine, is the one that's most problematic, saying, "No, God loves you when you kill the Jews, the pagans, and the Jew, uh, the Christians." So, right. Uh, who's this Allah cannot make up his mind? Are we? Are, are the Christians the friend of Muslims or are the Christians the enemies of Muslims? We don't know. Right. He's just, can't, can't figure it out. So, okay, let's take the other famous uh, Muslim that at least most Americans, and I say most like meaning all, know Osama bin Laden. Like he became famous. Like I was uh, in the year 2000, literally not a, probably nine, like 1% of America knew who he was. And today everybody knows. Sunni. Uh, like what part of Sunni would he have fallen under and what was his goal in taking down the World Trade Center? Is it, do they have an eschatology that he's trying to fulfill? Yes. I mean, ask anybody why they chose September 11. I mean, why did they not chose, choose September 10? Right. Or why? what was it 2001? Why didn't they do 2000? Right. Well, because there's a Quranic verse, chapter 9, verse 111. It's in English. You can read it on the website. Chapter 9, verse 111 it tells you why they chose the day. It's a promise that if you die in jihad, you go straight to heaven. But the, the reason I start with the idea of the social issue, the social issue, are we good Muslims? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're Sunni or Shia. The concept is God will help you win if you are a good Muslim. Okay, who's the good Muslim? The days of Muhammad. Yeah. Living like Muhammad. So the, we call them usuliyin, means coming back to the roots. So Osama bin Laden is a Sunni, but he's an usuli, meaning... We need to go back to the days of Muhammad. These are the greatest days. So he, he, his videos that he sent, it showed him wearing fatigues, sitting in caves, fighting the, the pagans, right. the infidels. So that's the concept. And most Muslims today don't want that. Most Muslims today do not want this jihad. Right, and that's and important. I want to definitely clarify. Because, because the struggle today, again and again, and today there's more news about Lebanon bombing, is that it, most, most Muslims are saying, we are tired of jihad. We're, we need to, in Islam. So you find money moderates trying to say, well, I'm a Muslim, but I'm a moderate. Well, what does that mean? Right. Oh, one person, one person was interviewed on some news media, and, and, and she goes, well, I'm, I'm not a practicing Muslim. What does that mean? It's like saying, 
she's not a good pregnant woman. You know, you're either <laughs> I'm not a practicing pregnant. Woman. I'm not practicing. So you're either in or out. You're not good Muslim. What do you mean? So that and these this is what the strife today in Islam. Today we have a, a crisis in Islam. Who represents Islam? Who Osama bin Laden, Erdogan? Who represents Islam? You know, uh, the 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 people who are in America speaking in, on news. Do they do they represent Islam? So this is the struggle. That's interesting because I uh, spent time across North Africa, and one of the things that our friends there uh, have told us that we we work with a guy who has a, a series of uh, 250 underground churches and. You know, he told me that one of the things that he had noticed was that a lot of the young people, if I remember right, there was uh, some North Africans that were part of the 19, obviously Saudi Arabia was part of that on the, on the as far as the hijackers. But he said that what he had noticed was that they were picking kids and recruiting kids out of the slums in, uh, in his country because they were ones that had lived, they had been stealing, they had been mm-hmm. thieving and mm-hmm. had been living immorally. And their one guarantee of heaven, the one guarantee would be dying as a martyr. And so it's it's a weird manipulation of them even mm-hmm. to say that to this child who is poor, who is uh, already down on his luck. and But the only way to get to heaven is if you will die as a martyr. Mm-hmm. And so they, mm-hmm. the, when Jesus would say, hey, go to the least of these and tell them that I love them and feed them and clothe them, the, the, their target had been, hey, go to the least of these and get them uh, a gun. And then mm-hmm. they, that you're guaranteed uh, mm-hmm. heaven. Yep. Which... I guess maybe that's something uh, I would like to ask you, Fahad, because people, uh, especially more progressive leaning uh, in America, uh, would say even to us, why do you need to convert uh, Islam? Why do you like, why do you even care? Why would you let them even to the point of saying like the hijabs? That's just a custom thing. It's not. uh, What is it that let me ask it this way? A young woman in North Africa who comes to a saving knowledge of Christ, how is her life now different than it was as a uh, as a Muslim? Uh, notwithstanding the persecution and being disowned from the family, because understandable that is a terrible part of it. But the way that she now lives and thinks uh, and and sleeps, like how is her life different under the the, the banner of Jesus and the blood of Christ? Um, in Islam, the only guarantee to go to heaven is to die in jihad. And jihad means holy war. Uh, the Arabic word means to strive. Uh, people can download a whole talk on Islamic terrorism on this, but the key the key thing for us is that the rise of militancy is a good sign because if I'm thirsty and you give me a cup of salt water, I get thirstier. What you are seeing today is that millions of Muslim young men and young women are seeking uh, salvation and what's offered to them is jihad now the flip side when you come to some people getting saved the first thing they tell you that in Christ we had peace men and women another uh, another thing that happens is that other people see the change uh, one one Muslim uh, refugee uh, Iraqi he was in a refugee camp he gets saved his wife finds out how because she saw him different. She said, you're changed. Nine months later, she gets saved. And they told her, why? Because you believe the Bible is not changed? She goes, no, my husband was changed. And so what happens is mm. that woman who becomes a believer, her view of God, the banner of Jesus, is banner of forgiveness, acceptance. Uh, Jesus says, um, I no longer call you slaves. 
Wow. It's very powerful because in Islam, the best thing you could do is Abdullah, means the slave of God. But in the Bible, it says, I don't call you slaves anymore. He calls us friends. In the Greek, it's, we are his best friends, beloved wow. friends. So here's this woman who sees herself as a slave to God. Even the hadith says that uh, the husband decides if she goes to heaven or to hell. <laughs> Muhammad the said husband that, the husband decides. I didn't know so, that. so if if the husband is mad at his wife, he'll tell her, "Well, on Judgment Day, I'll I'll tell him not to let you into Al Jannah. I won't let you go into paradise." But in Christianity, what are you talking about? God redeems women and men the same way. Yeah. Our gifts are given to the same people, or the fruit of the spirit. And when you read when you read Jesus' life, he had twelve disciples who were men. We call them the apostles, but as you read, you find in the list of Luke, there were six other women there who were involved in his ministry. Wow. So you could see even the parables, some of the parables were written or spoken by our Savior just for women. So um, I love teaching on the parables, but to, to make you know a conclusion on this, our conclusion is that when you see political upheaval, God is using this to open the hearts of Muslims. Hmm. This, is, this is what also Americans needed. Americans were very materialistic. We loved our activities, our toys, and and now we get this pandemic, and suddenly, like, what? I can't go here. I can't play with my toys. I can't go in my car. And God is is pulling is is pulling the 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 weeds out of the the field, and plowing the field so that the seed will germinate. The seed will grow, like the parable of the sower. Hmm. The seed has to fall on good soil, and that soil has to be tilled. And God uses politics, uses events to create a hunger and thirst for people to wow. seek Jesus. Hey, I wanted to, uh, this wasn't something I'd ask you ahead of time, uh, but I have dear friends uh, who live in Beirut, Lebanon, Matt and Julie uh, Beamer and Matt and Julie Hadaba. They are with an organization. They started this organization, Club 1040. Um, before we talk about what we lo- it looks like reaching uh, and loving Muslims in our world right now, what kind of a world are they in as Americans being missionaries in Lebanon? What is uh, what is unique about Lebanon for a Christian missionary to be there right now? Uh, the fun part about Lebanon, it's the only Arab country where the constitution says you can change your religion. Right, which is so, what I was hoping you were going to say, because yep. that's unique to any place else yes. in the Islamic world, right? Yeah. And Tunisia just followed suit on one thing. They said if you're a Tunisian woman... Uh, and you have, you're married to a non-Muslim, and you want to change your religion, you can. We're hoping that this will happen all over the Muslim world. But the uh, one I really, uh, you know, impressed by your friends, uh, man, and families, man and Matt, going yeah, right. there. It's exciting. I'm proud of them. May God bless them and use them. Second thing, the Lebanese people are very curious and inquisitive. Uh, in the last 20 years, we've seen such a huge curiosity by Muslims. I mean, so that's going to be open doors for them. The other thing that we need to pray for them, because I am pray that God will send them people who are sincere. Because, uh-huh. because sometimes you get people who just want to talk and dialogue, and that's part of our culture. We like to, to talk, and, yeah. you know, and that's fun. It's okay. But for us, we want Matt and Matt and his family to right. be— It is both Matt and Julie, by the way. Julie, two, both two, two Matt and Julies, both oh. named Matt and Julie, but so, one Matt and Julie had a bar, one So Matt and, Matt and Julie to the square. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and and I'm so proud of them, but we I'm pray— I mean, as a body of Christ, we need to pray that God sends them people who are sincere— because the Bible says you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me 
with all your heart. That's why I always pray, Lord, send me people who are seekers after your heart. I don't. I mean, sure, I can argue. We can use polemics and apologetics, all that. But we want those who God has already been working in their hearts. So please pray for that. Yeah. Lebanon now is is has a lot of refugees. So that's a in a way. And easy. most of those would be from Iraq or from Syria or all of the above. Uh, mostly Syrians because they're just next door. Yeah, know? yeah, coming right across. So almost almost two million now. Wait, two million just in Lebanon. Uh huh. And uh, they the double the population of Nashville in refugees in right there, man, dear oh, God. Oh yeah. Wow. And the country of Lebanon is only four million people, so it's taxing on us. Uh, from since the war in two thousand fifteen. Uh, the the Syrian people had 12 million displaced and Syria is the size of Ohio for our American audience wow so imagine that 12 million people move around a state like that's just an unimaginable number to me 12 million and they're just stuck right like suspended animation just moving around and or running away in uh, the whole state of Tennessee, for our people, listeners from Tennessee, is eight million. So you just think oh, the whole wow. state of Tennessee is being displaced, running away, moving. Some of them lost everything. Uh, it, it, sometimes they can't; they don't know. Like somebody goes to work and then comes back and they had bombed the building, so he doesn't know what happened. I mean, his, right. his neighbors are gone, his wife, mother. You know, so it's really and no government program to help them. You just pick up whatever you can and walk. Or and, and many times it's the government jets that are bombing. Yeah. So my mom is Syrian, so I, I have not been to Syria since 2015, because I can't visit my cousins. The situation is pretty bad. So do you have family there that have been displaced? That are your personal family? Um, yes, but uh, they left before. Okay. Like they could read the writing, and so they moved north, okay. uh, or east. Uh, some came to Lebanon. One family came to Beirut, and uh, there, and then uh, moved to the Gulf to work. Right. Sometimes, if you have a certain degree, you can get away. Yeah, that the, the, of course was one of the challenges, right? If you didn't have money or a degree or any sort of means, then you're just, you know, out of luck. And I know that um, on the border. Uh, so we have another family from our uh, church, uh, Grady and Becky Pickett, who live in Erbil, Iraq. Uh, they've been there a better part of 10 years. And I know that they have seen a surge of Syrian uh, refugees there as well. And I believe from Turkey as well. Like it's the whole area feels a little bit in a sense of upheaval. So when people look at it now, like I can remember the 80s, I remember the Iran Iraq war. I remember, it just seems like it's always been in an upheaval. But f- for me, the uneducated, it feels different now. Like, like who do you choose when it's Iran versus. Iraq. Who do you choose when it's Syria versus you know Hezbollah? Like, is it more complicated than it used to be? Yes. Uh, the biggest complication is that for the first time in history, people in anywhere on the planet can f- get the news. So I'm I'm right here in the United States. I can find news in Indonesia. I can find news about China. I can find news about Morocco from my own home. You know, 20, 30 years ago, that was a little bit difficult. You had to look. F- you know, have to research. You know, in right, 2000, right. maybe we could. Uh, in 1990s, you know, you had to do more research. But uh, uh, talk it 100 years ago, in, 18, in 1920, 1820, 200 years ago, people didn't know. So it was easy for people to be sold on the idea that Islam is peaceful, it's a great religion, we just have some trouble. But now, 
People are like, what's going on in Erbil? What's going on in Turkey? What's going on in Syria? What's going on in, in Libya? And suddenly there's a civil war in Algeria. There's a problems in Morocco. Uh, Sudan split in half. Right. You know, and so Muslims today are like, where where is this Islamic country that's peaceful? So, you know, you can talk about Dubai. Yeah, they're building, they just finished building a Jewish temple in the Arab Emirate. But, but that's a very small country. And 11% of them are Arab. Huh. <laughs> Most of the people there are expatriates. So for them to build a Sikh temple and all that, that's nice. They build a Catholic church. Well, that's nice. And that's good. But what happened to the bigger countries? How come Saudi Arabia has no church buildings? Uh, and, and the countries that have church buildings, none of these Christians are allowed to baptize non-Christians. Hmm. So it's like giving me a billboard saying, oh, here's your church. You can do whatever you want here, but you cannot really live your faith. You can't talk about your faith. You go, and this is very important today. Today, they make Christians feel bad by saying you shouldn't convert. But this is not a biblical word. Conversion is not a biblical word. That's offensive for us. You and I as believers, Jesus never said go and convert. Huh. He never said that. He said go and share. You are my witnesses. A witness is what? What is a witness? Is somebody saw something and he shares it. That's that's not converting. Converting is making somebody make a decision by coercion. I'm not coercing them. So Second uh, uh, Corinthians is clear. It says we are Christ's ambassadors. Right. So when people say to me, do you want me to become Christian? I always say no. They say, what do you mean? I say, it's not about me. That's between you and God. If God wants to become a Christian, you become a Christian. I'm, I'm sharing what God did in my life. God changed my heart to start praying for Palestinians and start praying for the Jewish people, for Israelis. That's what God did in my life. If you want to follow God and follow Jesus, great. If you don't, it's okay. Because that's not my role. Matthew 24, 14. Beautiful text. If you read chapter 24 of Matthew, the only thing that we are responsible of is sharing the good news. Matthew 24 is all, all eschatology. Yeah. And it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached not convert will be preached in all the nations in greek pantate ethne means all ethnic groups in all the nations and then the end will come so the beautiful thing about my role as a believer my role is to love jesus and be a witness just tell what happened to me if people if i was the only person who's a believer in the united states of america i'm gonna still share what god did in my life my yeah. faith is not based on others and so when people say to me, uh, are you converting Muslims? I say, you just insulted me because God does the conversion. Right. If, if, you want to, if a person wants to be theologically correct, it's God's work and human response. Romans 10, 9 to 10. Hmm. If you believe in your heart and confess in your mouth, you're saved. So it's God's work and the human confession response. Right. That You and I don't have any power on that. That's right. God's... That's God's arena. We only the only power we have is to share the witness. So the beautiful thing for us as believers today is I live my life, and Jesus gave us principles. He said, "Love your neighbor as yourself." He didn't tell me how. I could love them by helping them find a school, or teaching them how to drive, or mow the lawn, or help them find food, or you know, one of my friends, she's a her, she's a, she and her um, husband are both from Muslim background. And uh, they, in this quarantine, they decided to do walk, to walk in their neighborhood. And they took a picture of their family, they have kids, and they put their number and email, said, if you need any help, they just put it on the doors. Please call us if you need any help with food. Well, as they're doing wow. this, they saw people also walking. They met five 
Muslim families in their neighborhood, and they've lived there for three years. And so the exciting part is with this COVID and pandemic is it forced them to meet their neighbors and they just just said, hey, we want to help. Do you need anything when we go to the store? Or, you know, there was this yeah. pandemic of uh, food and toilet paper and all that. And this is the power of the gospel is we are the ambassadors. Another verse says we are the fragrance of Christ. Ah. This is is not converting. I'm not converting. I am the fragrance of Christ. And it's exciting uh, how people come up and they say to me, you know, my my Muslim friend wanted to know, my friend Muhammad, he's a Moroccan, he became a believer. And his family wanted to know because they saw the change in him. Wow. Yeah, that is, when I think to what's happening in our world right now in America, um, I've traveled the globe. Uh, to North Africa, to Middle East, to to take the gospel to Muslims there, and the one thing that the uh, the 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 government policies around the lockdown, shutting down all the borders, I've canceled. Uh, I had the whole year planned out in January. I mean, I was supposed to be in North Africa. I, was, I had this. It was all a great plan. It just wasn't God's plan, and. So I've been wandering around my neighborhood getting vitamin D, which I'm excited about. I've been walking and, I, and I've begun to meet multiple neighbors. And here I am in College Grove, Tennessee, right? This is the country, basically. And began to meet my neighbors and how many of them are Hindu and how many of them are Muslim. And the conviction that the Lord put on me was, man, I, I'll travel around the world, but I wouldn't travel up the, up the street a couple mm-hmm. blocks mm-hmm. over. And so... <laughs> That, but I, I think that um, as convicting as that is for me, I know that there are those listening right now who are experiencing the same thing, and they are either intimidated, they don't know what to say to a Muslim neighbor, they don't know how to even begin a conversation with them. Help, so help me. I, I've got, uh, let's say there's three families in here that I know of for sure that I, I've actually just met just like walking down the street. You know, we give a little elbow bump because it's pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what is the path for me to be a witness to them. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Darren. So my biggest challenge uh, for us is to, number one, start by prayer, uh, prayer walking, pray for them by name, uh, pray that God puts them in a situation mm-hmm. that they ask you a question, uh, pray that they will maybe have a dream. Um, and then it's always, I always pray, Lord, you open the conversation. The second thing is, because we know God answers prayer, is prepare yourself. So uh, if you haven't done any studies on how to witness to Muslims, there's a book called Adhan Injil, uh, Connecting with Muslims, another book, Ambassadors to Muslims. Uh, another friend wrote a book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. That's a great book. You know, any, any of these books to help you understand where they're coming from. And that the reason I ask Christians to do that is because we believe God is moving. So this planet is not spun and left alone. So be prepared. And lastly, begin the conversation many times the door is open or maybe the door is ajar and the questions is which open it wider so be prepared uh, let god uh, lead the conversation let them ask you and if and sometimes you ask them say for example how long you've been in america or uh I'm, I, it seems you're from the middle east are you from a specific group and they might say oh i'm a muslim so you might say oh i've read sunni shia what's your branch and he might say well i was nominal but we're sunnis oh you know uh-huh. uh, or he might say oh i'm very very much practicing i attend the mosque and you might say 
that's great. So you read the Quran, you know. So you that these questions helps you show respect, show honor. Right, right. And and, and so these are the three steps. One prayer, two prepare yourself, three ask questions. One of the things that you've given some great, uh, I think, um, peace for is, you know, I went to a Bible college where they said that uh, the, the life of a Christian, you're like a salesman. You're trying to ask the questions, overcome, overcome the objections, and close the deal. That would be the language they use, but that's not the language of Scripture. The language of Scripture is planting seeds. Mm-hmm. And um, and the fragrance is a beautiful one as well, because if, as, as Christ followers, if we are really displaying the fruit of the Spirit, you know, fresh fruit smells pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the idea of us spending time in prayer and in the Spirit, allowing that to be the fresh fragrance that they experience, that uh, it isn't my job to convert. It's not my job to close the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is my job to uh, be the fragrance of Christ, yes. to communicate uh, to plant the seeds of the word, uh, not to, you know, I, I'm a big proponent, especially in a, uh, in a neighborhood setting of, you know, earning the right to be heard through relationship, mm-hmm. you know, the, the uh, olden days of door to door and handing out tracks and stuff. I mean, it's funny. I actually know somebody that got saved doing that, but I know one person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know so many who a friend led to Christ that it was through a relationship or something that happened that way. And I, I would love it for our church family, but for anybody to, uh, these, they're not a project. They're people that Jesus loves. Loves. Amen. That's not a project. That's Amen. just somebody that Jesus loves. And so being out, it, and I, I did again, so vitamin D, it's, it's actually, I was uh, just t- uh, yesterday, uh, yet more information is coming out that one of the things that's helping to fight COVID-19 is vitamin D. This is a true story there. The one th- the common thread through those who have been the most sick and had the most trouble is of a vitamin D deficiency. The thing that is helping uh, the most is vitamin D, uh, the strong high amounts of it. And the one way to get vitamin D is outside, right? And by the way, the other thing is, hey, uh, losing some weight, getting in shape. Like that's, yes. that's something that's helping. And yes. so... The two things to help fight COVID-19 in your body and your life is the very thing we need, which is get outside and go meet our neighbors, go Amen. on walks yeah. and prayer walks. Like that's what uh, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm a little ashamed that I didn't do that before, but I mean, I was putting in, you know, I was still putting in a lot of miles and, <laughs> and before when I'd put on my AirPods and just focus down, cause I don't want to talk to anybody. Cause you know, my job is talking to people. So at night, I you just, break. <laughs> I just want to break. And I'm realizing, man, right here in my own backyard, in my own neighborhood, are these wonderful people. We see, you know, we encounter each other in our little private Facebook group, and we're encountering each other as we're walking around with our own children. And and the, the thing that was helpful for me was remembering that, and this is important if you're listening to this and you think uh, you have this monolithic view of Muslim and they're all Osama or they're all the Ayatollah, that's just, it's not factually mm-hmm. accurate. Nope. And to take a step back that there's no fear in that. First of all, perfect love casts out fear. But this, I mean, I'll tell you, when I was around North Africa, one of the things that I found was, man, uh, if I was looking for like, uh, I don't know, a battery for my cell phone or a SIM card, and I would ask somebody on the street, not only would they help me, they would literally walk with me to show me where it's at. None of this, oh, down the corner or don't bother Mm me. You know, when you go to, to a Muslim's house for dinner, like they 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 threw out a spread. Yes. Like it was like, you know, D-Day of food. Yeah, like wave after wave of food and fresh vegetables. And it was the hospitality there. And I think that 
for us as Americans, especially if you've lived in a very specific jet stream of America, to understand that maybe what you're seeing on the news, maybe the politicians that you're seeing that are representing Islam, maybe I don't think they're the representation of Islam. I think they've got an agenda. The ones that we see on the news that are blowing up buildings, those are not representative of the vast majority of people. Uh, you know, Muslims are people who Jesus loves and wants to save. And we have an opportunity right here. Let me ask you this as we're starting to kind of wrap up this. I think time um, is short here on this side of eternity. Uh, there was an interview I saw, it's been a few years back with the King of Jordan and it was on 60 Minutes and they'd asked him uh, about, the, specifically at that, at that time, it was about the Syrian civil war and they asked him about, uh, does this sound like the start of World War III could be soon? And the King of Jordan, um, whose name is completely escaping me, Abdullah. Abdullah said, he laughed and at the reporter said, that's the problem with you. You don't know. It's already started. Mm -hmm. And it was a chilling mm -hmm. statement. Mm -hmm. And whether he's right or not, what he is saying is that there's a very serious thing happening in our world right now. Mm -hmm. uh, one that we don't have to fear because we are in, in Christ. Uh, when I see what you said, yeah, Matthew 24 when Jesus was speaking about his return, they're asking for inside information. Like when, when, when are you mm -hmm. going to, how are we going to know? Like, they're like, mm -hmm. what are we like? Is it going to be next week? Is it mm -hmm. going to be September? When is it going to be? He gave them no inside information, but he did tell them, Hey, use your talents to, to win the lost. Use your treasures to win the lost. Make sure your lamps, the parable of the, 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 the virgins and the oil, make sure you're full of the Holy spirit and preach this gospel into the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. Like that's all we need to be about. Amen. How can we get involved with what you're doing? You guys are doing training. You've trained, you said, 200 and some thousand people? Uh, 371,000. Or 371,000. We, we, don't, we don't only do training. We're, we're doing outreach, but we like to bring the, with us people instead of us doing the work, but rather work with others. And our focus on the uh, leadership of the local church. But uh, Jesus never leaves his throne. Mm. And eschatology is on God's understanding. God is on the throne. But you and I are involved in what we call sharing the good news. And Jesus put in a beautiful model. He said, invite them to dinner. Right? Ah. He said, there's a banquet. Invite them to the banquet. This is the heart of God. It's this invitation. So Crescent Project right now, we do online outreach. We do online training. We have uh, events that we do training. And then now we're moving into what we call Growing in Grace. We have a discipleship program. And so our biggest endeavor, we call it the Empowerment Initiative. And part of it, the, the quadrant on Growing in Grace, we're designing websites where we can help Muslim seekers understand the gospel. And then from understanding the gospel, be able to make a decision. Because many times they understand the gospel, but they don't know what we're asking them to do. Many times they think, well, if I believe in Jesus, this means I have to dress this way, or mm. I, I must, you know, I must vote this way, or I might, you know, I should stop eating this. So not only seekers to understand the gospel, but then help them to make the decision, and then growing them in grace, disciple them, and then make them be disciple makers. So we are, we have a complete program for that but now we want to go online we're going to design an app for it and all this so that's there's a cost we're expecting about five hundred thousand, and then we're putting our material into european languages so we're putting into german french portuguese spanish 
And so uh, we needed... And so that material, is that all online that you're talking about? Like someone, let's say uh, f- French, uh, there's a, a large Muslim population in France. or uh, Is it an app that they can get access to this information? Yeah, right now, crescentproject.org is they can download this information. And we needed to raise 97,000, we raised 70,000. So we're right. almost there. Okay, so 97000 is the, and that's the cost to put the app into the, the hands? That's of, the cost of the translation, translating everything into these languages right, to have so, it online. And, okay, so you're translating like every, like the, uh, your training, the gospel, the your methodology mm-hmm. is all being translated into, and is it 97000 for multiple languages or just for one uh, language? No, the languages are Spanish, French, German, and Portuguese. And Farsi, so uh, and Farsi, yes. Oh, yeah. sorry, and Turkish. And Turkish. So these seven languages are the ones we want to saturate basically Europe with. Right. And so the funds will be raised to translate materials like Adhan the Injil, explaining why Jesus died on the cross. Do Christians worship three gods? Explaining Trinity. Um, Which is a big deal breaker for a lot yes. of Islam. Like that's that's in their apologetics class. Yeah. Yes. They're being taught that we're polytheistic. And most of the time, and we can have that another time, but when when Muslims are taught about Trinity, they're taught about God the Father, Mary the Mother, and Jesus the Son. Oh, interesting. So it's it's very important that as we talk to them, we understand what is really the problem. The problem is not God the Father, the Son, or Spirit. That's 99% of Muslims don't even know about that conversation. And I'm I'm not I'm not shying away from that conversation. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting. When you're talking to them and they talk about Trinity, it's easy to 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 think, oh, they're talking about the scriptural, biblical Trinity, but they're not. They're talking about some kind of a Trinity that they, it's a figment of their imagination. Right, <laughs> so, right. It's not a, nobody believes in that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Catholic Church loves the Virgin Mary. Yeah, yeah. But they, it's not part of the Trinity. They never yeah. think. Even of a that Catholic way. doesn't put them in the <laughs> Trinity, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, so with these languages, the thing that's just interesting to me about this is by putting it inside of an app, uh, what we've seen right now with many of these nations, um, they can stop Twitter. They can stop Facebook. Of course, America is threatening to stop TikTok. So we'll <laughs> see if that happens. But, but what we've seen is that a federal government can stop uh, a social network. But if, if they've downloaded this app, it is a direct like, delivery of information from you to them that the government can't stop. Is that, am I understanding that's that right? What we're, that's the goal. And then the other thing, what we're going to do is when you put these websites, like for example, you could be a Turkish man in Europe, visiting Europe. Maybe the website is blocked in Turkey, but you can download it in Europe. And a lot of refugees back. now get to Europe and the first thing they give them is a, a smartphone because that's the way uh. they can get in social media. The governments give them that free because they can get Wi-Fi free. Wow. In these nations. So many times people are finding each other through Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram. They, they take a picture, post it, say, you know, we're in Greece. And then somebody says, oh, we ran away and we're now in, in Germany or Poland. Or So right. it's kind of fun to see how we could utilize that. Yeah, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, you know. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, so that's interesting. But but you still need about $27,000 more to make that happen, right? Uh, for the language. For the languages, yes. yeah. Yeah, that's important because people um, probably maybe do, maybe they don't understand the enormous amount of refugees that have found their way from the war-torn Middle East to Europe. I've stood on the northern coast of Africa with uh, sub-Saharan Africans just trying to get across. But I also I met a lot of Syrians who somehow, I don't even know how or why, 
would have made it from Syria, which means they would have had to go from like Libya, Tunisia, but somehow they made it to the very northern coast where you could see Spain, you know, from uh, Tangier uh, trying to get there. But the point being, an enormous amount of Muslims are now in places that you can reach them without fear of, you know, being put in prison, which is a big deal, and getting their technology into their hands. Because if they are getting technology, that is one way that uh, clearly the world is using technology to get to us, to our people and through marketing. And so uh, that number is, we'll just, I'm going to put a, a link in our show notes of how to find you and find your ministry and believe God that that is, uh, you know, on the one hand, $27,000 is an enormous amount of money. And on the other hand, that's just a snap for God. Amen. And so if, if someone's listening to this and you're thinking, man, I really think that seven languages i mean farsi uh this is this is amazing it's gonna touch a lot of people yeah 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 so let's pray that that uh is is uh, something that happens let me ask you this then so how do we stay in touch with what you guys are doing the crescentproject.org is your website that's the best way it, and then uh, there's an app uh, called bridges bridges study it's an app they can download and it's also how to share the gospel with muslims this is designed uh, for Christians. Uh, the other thing is that right now we cancel all our uh, short-term trips, but we are encouraging people to do outreaches in their neighborhood. We use words like chase the moving truck. Chase the moving truck? <laughs> what or, does that uh, mean? <laughs> you know, you see a moving truck in the neighborhood, just walk and see where did it stop. Where are they going, and, yeah. And who are these neighbors of yours? Are they from the Middle East? Are they American moving, let's say, from another state? And maybe they are Muslim. Or sometimes, in if you're in the U.S., many times we discover there are a lot of mixed marriages. Mm. You know, Pakistani married to, uh, to an American. Or, you know, American married to somebody from Senegal. And it's a beautiful the conversations good it's it's this is what america is based on we're a melting pot you know? right right so it's great conversation that's a good tip by the way because i'll bet everybody listening to this if you're in a neighborhood in america uh for the most part you're going to have a private facebook group for your neighborhood and what i see it every it seems like you come into my neighborhood it's pretty new right here but the back of it they're still building like a hundred homes wow we see Hey, I'm new to the neighborhood. Uh, we're just moving in. How do I turn on my electricity? How do I, where do I get the cable from here? You know, so we don't even have to look for the truck. We look for oh, the yeah. Facebook group and that's a great opportunity to meet, meet you. And by the way, I have that app on my phone, yes. the Bridges app. And you just go to the, uh, whether it's the, the app store for the Google uh, Android or this is, I've got it on the Mac OS 10 uh, for my iPhone. And I love it. Like I think if you're if this is a great first step right here, so download this app for uh, for this information. So yeah, that's awesome. And uh, when they go to our website, our next main event is going to be called the Hope Conference. It is uh, on in September, but we need people to sign up for it. And uh, we we used to do it local, like a face to face, but with the pandemic, it's going to be online. Mm -hmm. So we're we're going to do uh, one for Europe, Asia, Africa, and that time zone is on the 17th of September, and for the Americas is the 10th. So I'd recommend people sign up quickly because they, they will be able to download stuff, and it's right. uh, we got provided, so it's all free. Got provided for us for that event, so wonderful, we, no charge on it. It's wow. crescentproject.org, and you click on the Hope Conference. So that's, uh, if you're listening and you uh, any of this speaks to you, um, and I pray that it does, uh, because the Holy Spirit is you know on the move, and 
you know, in talking to our friends in the Middle East right now, you know, they've had uh, for years we'd ship Bibles and they were like, we could barely give them away. Like nobody wanted them. And they're saying right now with what's happening with this pandemic, with COVID-19 and the lockdowns and they can't give them away fast enough right now. There is a hunger Amen. for truth. Um, we have another shipment of uh, bread, as we call it, going over the mountains into uh, Iran um, in the in the coming weeks. Uh, and we're told that uh, with, with some confirmation that Iran, that one of the fastest growing churches in the world right now is in oh, Iran. Yeah. Do you have any confirmation from that? Anybody that you know in that world? That Yeah, oh yeah. I was uh, with some in Austria. Um, last year and I did a, a wedding because it was a couple who got saved and they were married Shia and they found out I'm ordained minister they said pastor I had met him for two days and their pastor there Pastor Mehdi Mehdi said they would like to do a wedding Christian wedding I'm like okay let's do it so I spoke wow. on the building your house on the rock and <laughs> <laughs> and the powerful thing about building a house on the rock is it will withstand all things so there is there, we're getting reports the other thing that's happening in Iran is uh, Muslims in Iran know that Islam has failed. Our issue in Islam today is what is the alternative? That's why you and I need ah. to shine the light because many Muslims know Islam doesn't work. I don't have to tell them Islam doesn't work. All I have to tell them, hey, try Jesus. Here's Jesus. He changed my heart. Yeah. He changed my life. He changed my, me, released me from addictions, released me from hate, released me from whatever sin that released me. And that's what attracts them. See, it's not... Uh, it's not this uh, battle of the fists, you know. Hmm. For me, I don't spend any time on showing Islam doesn't work. They know it doesn't work. Right. But what is the alternative? Um, That's helpful to know because I think that, you know, you think from a perspective of, um, like, as, as far as Christianity goes, like, I actually kind of know that this is working for me. This is so it's, you'd have to really, really convince me of something. Uh, but if you come into it from the perspective of, you know, this is actually not working out so good for us. Like we've, no. we've had a few hundred years now and this is not uh, landing so well. And, and women's issues are on the rise, but um, the West is not picking it up. But right yeah. now there's something called acid women. These are women were thrown acid on yes. them in Pakistan. In, in Lebanon today, one of the biggest problems in Lebanon is spousal abuse. And nobody's talking about it. People are dying somebody threw his wife from the balcony another one stabbed her seven times and lit her on fire Oof. i mean okay you don't like your wife divorce her you yeah you stabbed her seven times and you set her on fire so these are coming up and people are reading the west is ignoring them because the west doesn't it doesn't fit the narrative yeah, it doesn't fit the story <laughs> on the CNN. Story, you know but but the, the, the idea is muslims are saying what is the solution here and that's the power of the gospel yeah. In the midst of darkness, the Bible says, light came, John chapter 1, in the chronos, right? Yes, in yeah. the chronos of time, uh, or uh, kairos, in the kairos of time, God wow. sent Jesus. He's the light in the darkness, and it says in the Greek, and the darkness will not put it out, because light always defeats darkness. I can't think of a better way to end uh, than that. Um I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. You're probably going to have to rewind and listen again because uh, I know that he, there was a lot of good stuff in this. Uh, if you uh, are listening and don't have that personal light in your own life, uh, I pray that you will come to Christ now, that you will uh, repent of your sins, that you will 
receive the work that Jesus did for you on the cross, that you will not one day stand in front of a father with a set of scales, hoping that you have one more good work than bad work, that in Christ you stand in front of him clothed in his righteousness. That's the power of the gospel, the power of what he did for us. Uh, I pray that that becomes real to you. You can uh, get prayer directly from us at info at conduitchurch.com. Uh, I hope that you'll reach out that way. We're going to definitely put links out there for Fouad and the Crescent Project ministry that they have. I pray that you will keep him in your prayers, keep his family, as well as uh, the ministry. And if the Lord puts it on your heart to help them financially, uh, you can do that as well. Reach out to them directly for that. Fouad, uh, I hope this is not the last time we have this conversation. Uh, there's, I have so many more questions we can only get you know, so much in at once. would love to do more. And any questions people want to send, we'll respond to them too. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks so, for being here. God bless you guys, and we will uh, we'll have you back uh, at some point real soon. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.